Hello, and welcome to the podcast, Creditor's Corner Legal Talk, presented by Smith, Debnam, Naren, Drake, St. Singh, and Myers, LLP. My name is Lauren Reeves. I'm a partner in the firm's business law section. Before we begin, I do want to note the information provided in this podcast does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information and content is intended for the general informational purposes only. Listeners should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. With that all out of the way, we will turn our attention to this week's topic, which is a continuation of a prior episode um, on estate planning. So I guess we could call this like estate planning 102? 102, part 102, 102, 101, part 2, any one of those. Return of the Jedi. (laughs) Our guests today are the same guests as before. We have Andrew Bullard and Jean Cianelli, also from the business law section, with whom I get to practice with regularly. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. Thanks, Lauren. I I went back and listened to the last podcast to see where we were, and it looks like last time we ended with a discussion of trust. Yes. Jean had said revocable trust made the probate process easier. What is that? mean are there there other ways to make the probate process easier there are ways to simplify things and also to 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 kind of streamline things through the pro through the either the probate process by using revocable trust and not having to go through probate or by using other alternative means which are beneficiary designations jointly titling things tenancy by the entirety if it's real property these type of devices either transfer through contract law or through rule of law itself. So if you have an IRA or a 401k, you absolutely should have a beneficiary designation on something like that. If you have life insurance, have a beneficiary designation unless we're setting it up for a very specific type of trust. If you're married and you own a piece of real property, unless there's a good reason to have it in one spouse's name, have it jointly titled because it will transfer then automatically to the surviving spouse. Those type of devices you can use that will bypass the probate process, which when we say probate, we just mean having to go down to the courthouse and take the assets of the person who died and administer them. So if you don't have to do that, you're not going to have to pay the probate fee. It's going to be much faster and much more efficient. That's excellent. Speaking as the real estate attorney in the room, I want to explain really quickly what tenants by the entirety is because a lot of people don't know it and they think that if they own property just with their spouse, their spouse automatically gets it. That's semi-true, but not the full truth. In North Carolina, there's a very special protection on property called tenants by the entirety. And you've got to take title to property with your spouse and in the name of you both And also with special language that shows that you are married to each other. So it could be a designation of John and Jane Smith, comma, married to each other, or John and Jane Smith, husband and wife, or and spouse, uh, some kind of designation to show the marriage. If there's no, if there's no designation about the marital status, uh, there's a, there, it's, it's got to be presumed that, it, that it's not held that way unless you can prove otherwise. We want to make that really easy when we make things titled. Sorry to interrupt you for a second, but I wanted to, because that's something I deal with a lot with y'all. Um, I wanted to bring that up when we were in here. Right. And, you know, a lot of times you'll people, you'll hear people say, well, you know, I own, I own this property with my siblings or with my spouse. And, you know, I think Lauren makes a great point that not all, um, 
not all co-ownership or not all situations where uh, property is owned by multiple people are, are created equal. There are some that are just by nature much more complicated than others. Excellent. Now, Gene, let's get back to what you were talking about with taxes and beneficiaries mm-hmm. and having to pay estate tax. How does that work? Yeah, well, estate tax is, is a tax that occurs on the transfer of your property when when you pass away. Um, gift tax kind of is, is a, a partner to that, but gift tax applies when you give property away um, during life. It's, it's what's called a transfer tax. Um, gift and estate tax are paid by um, the donor, in other words, the, the person giving the property in the case of gift tax and by uh, the estate itself in the case of estate tax. It's not paid by the beneficiary. Um, some states have what's called inheritance tax where the beneficiary does pay tax on what they receive and, the, and they're actually the ones responsible for the tax. Um, North Carolina has not had a, an inheritance tax in many years. North Carolina doesn't have a gift or estate tax anymore. It, it did until uh, 2013. Um, but it's it's important to, to contrast the two. The uh, gift and estate tax is paid by whomever is transferring the property, and it's on the transfer itself. Um, another thing people worry about um, if they're inheriting property, let's say, is, well, do I have to pay income tax on that? And that it's a reasonable concern, you know, because you're getting property that you didn't have before. It's it's in an economic sense, it's income to you because you know your your personal balance sheet, I guess, has has gone up on the asset side. Um, but uh, inheritances and gifts are not subject to uh, federal or or state income tax. Um, but uh, that's that's it. Now, if you um, when you get to the point where you have a trust um, set up that is, uh, I think in the last podcast I talked about um, a trust for a beneficiary with a trustee owning property for the beneficiary, that trust itself can be a, a subject to income tax on its income. Um, but it's uh, one that's rare and two, um, it's it's not a tax that's that's actually on the beneficiary. Yeah. The one thing I would add to that is if in, if give somebody an IRA or four hundred one k through beneficiary designation, that qualified fund if it ha- if a traditional IRA or qualified fund has not been taxed before, when they receive it, they will still have to pay tax on it. There is no exemption out just because they inherit that type of property. If you didn't pay tax on it, they get to pay the tax instead. Right. And the and the tax would apply when they start withdrawing money from it, not not when they actually inherit it. So we've covered that North Carolina doesn't make people who inherit money or property pay taxes unless the account that they were getting it from had been tax-free or tax-deferred, and then you'd have to pay tax anyway. So you're not getting double taxed on these things, right? Correct. And and again, the tax uh, occurs when, you know, the the person who inherited the IRA or 401k actually takes takes money out of it. They they kind of stand in the shoes of uh, the person who died, the person who created the 
IRA or 401k, um, just when those, when those withdrawals occur. And as you might know, there's, there comes a point in time when you have to take, uh, withdrawals out of retirement accounts, uh, 70 and a half is, is usually the, the point when you, when it's mandatory that you take, uh, distributions of, of some kind. 72 now under the SCARE Act. 72. Yep. 72. All right. Well, what happens if I inherit my parents' home? Do I have to pay taxes on the house? What if it's appreciated and they didn't pay as much for it as it's worth now? Yeah. Again, it's, um, you, you, you don't pay tax on the, on the value of the home when you, when you inherit it. Now, obviously you inherit a, a piece of real estate, you become the owner of that real estate, you're liable for real estate taxes, uh, on that property after you inherit the property. Um, if you, so if you inherit property on, uh, today's January, uh, January 10th, uh, you inherit property on January 10th, you turn around and sell it on January 11th. Um, generally that will not, that sale will not have an income tax effect to you because what happens when, uh, your, uh, your parents or your, say you inherited from your uh, from your late father, that property gets what's called a basis step up when he dies. And all that means is that the, the value of the property is considered uh, in, in your hands to be um, the same as what you paid for it, meaning you don't pay, you don't have any taxable gain in the property. But if I held on to it for say 10 years and the property appreciated more, my step up in base, it would only go to the point that I received the property. Correct. Correct. The step up is kind of locked in at the point you receive it. Got it. So you mentioned guardianships before. Tell me about guardianships and how to set those up with an estate plan. When would a person need one? So we typically, when we set them up, it's going to be a paragraph in your will about who would be the guardian if you're, you know, if the ultimate event happened where if it's mom and dad, husband and wife pass away at the same time or, you know, pretty re- pretty soon right after each other, you're going to designate an individual to take over as the guardian of the person for the child. Um, we That's through the will. It can be through a trust. Typically, you don't see it through a trust that often, though. And one thing to know, in North Carolina, the those provisions are just they're guiding to the court. They aren't actually legally binding and the courts don't have to follow them. Most, mostly because sometimes people have skeletons in their closet that they don't tell you about and you designate them and well, they've done some bad things that you weren't aware of. Um, But one of the, that's probably when clients come in with minor children, that's usually the most important subject that we get, that we come to is who's going to be the guardian? Who is it going to be, is it going to be the, the spouse's parents? Is it going to be a sibling or somebody along those lines? There's no right or wrong answer to that. I mean, I guess there could be a wrong answer yeah. to it for sure. But your de- when it comes to who you're going to designate, just make sure it's somebody you trust. They're going to raise your kids probably with the same morals and values. And I have two minor children myself, so I sure as heck know that it's very important to me who would raise them if something happened to me and my wife. Can you also set up a backup guardian? You, you can set up a backup guardian. Um, you can even set it up where it's 
And if you have friends and you say, you know, husband and wife, you can set it up that way as well. So that it's kind of both of those individuals having this responsibility as a guardian. You can name alternatives if one fails and you need successors for it or say the person gets the kids and the kids are terrorizing them and they need to shift somebody else in. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing I would add to what, what Andrew said about uh, choosing a guardian, just whomever you choose to be the guardian of your, of your minor children, just let them know beforehand. Um, let them know that you're going to do that or that you're thinking about doing that and talk with them about, about that because they may not, they may not want that responsibility. They may not, uh, feel they can, um, that they're worthy of raising your children and, and, uh, um, or that, you know, some circumstance may may prevent them from doing that, and I've 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 seen that happen more than once. Where, um, you know, a, a couple will talk about, well, we want so and so to be the guardian, and we'll go down the go down that road, and lo and behold, um, they casually mention it to the the their intended guardians and. It doesn't. It doesn't work out. Just make sure that there again. There are no surprises for for all involved when you're when you're choosing a guardian. Do y'all talk about other discussions with family members when you're doing estate planning as well? Not just hey, I'd like you to be guardian of my kids. Are you okay with that? But otherwise, does does that happen? Do people talk about this? You know, around family dinners. Um. <laughs> you know, they. I always tell people that if you want to prevent a fight, especially if you're doing something in a will where we're going to have an unequal distribution, especially if it's going to be you have two children, one of them's getting 75% of the estate, the other one's getting 25% of the estate, warn them. Warn them because if you don't and the day that they see the will is the day you die, it's probably going to be a, you know, a pretty big shock to the one that's getting 25%, especially if they don't know the reason why. The other thing, if your family members, you got to discuss your healthcare power of attorney better know what's going to happen. If you have, if you go into cardiac arrest or you have a stroke, if you don't tell them, especially if they're going to be the one active on your advanced directive, if you want to live or die, that's a huge problem. Yeah. The other, other thing I, I see that, that surprises people a lot of time, has to do with how specific items of personal property are, are divided up. Who gets mom's engagement ring? Who gets the China? Um, and, and even cases where, you know, mom's engagement ring or the China isn't really worth all that much. I mean, uh, sentimental value is very much a thing and really causes some, some, better, better disputes among family members. And, you know, it seems, it seems kind of silly, but I certainly understand why, um, why it's a concern. So again, in, in the interest of full disclosure, in the interest of kind of getting everyone on board, if you know that there's something, if you, if you know that, you know, your, your older daughter is going to want mom's engagement ring or, or the China or something like that, just get that all out in the open beforehand. It's better to have the discussions um, now when everyone has a clear head rather than after you're gone and one, you're not around to, to participate 
and two, you know, there's there's the state of confusion that that comes with the loss of a family member present. Yeah, it's a stu- super emotional time anyway. Very much to find something that's a surprise at that point may mm-hmm. tip somebody over the edge. So can I, what if I wanted to leave some money to charity? I think you mentioned that the last podcast. Mm-hmm. Is that something that people do? Is there a special way to do that? Yeah, very much so. There's um, a number of special ways to leave money to charity. There are different kinds of uh, trusts that can be set up both uh, during your life and um, at your death through, through your will. Um, you can also just make outright gifts to charity, uh, through your will, um, you know, certain dollar amounts, a certain percentage of your estate, um, certain specific property that you, um, that you own. Um, but that's, that's a very common, uh, discussion that we have with clients who, who have charitable, um, interests, um, is how to accomplish that through through their estate planning. Another thing that clients can do, um, again, both during life and and uh, after they they pass away, is set up what's called uh, private foundations, which are really mini charities in and of themselves. They're uh, someone say you know a a person designating certain property or a certain amount of money to be put into charity. Uh, into a charity that they create and it's that charity's job um, after they're gone and, and even during their lives to, to make grants to, to, to other charities. It's a, a fairly common uh, technique. So if, if you've got a relative who's just passed away, where can they start? What can they do? Because they're generally confused and upset, like you said. What are the next procedures in this? First, um, I would tell you this, mourn. Mourn. Because you've just lost a loved one. And if you think it's going to be an easy task after the person has passed away, you might take a few days to get your bearings together. Nothing is forcing you to run into the probate courts to get a will probated or transfer assets as quickly as possible. I can tell you with 100% certainty, it is going to move slower than you think it will. It is not going to be a month long process where everything is wrapped up. It doesn't work that way, but take some time to mourn. That's the first bit of advice I give people is Take as much time as you need. The estate's going nowhere. The property's there as long as no one's doing anything to do any, doing anything stupid with it. But take that time. And then once you have once you have your bearings back, start looking for important papers. If they did do a will, get the original will. We need the original will with the wet signatures on it. That is the most important document for us to get into probate administration and start finding things like deeds. Most of them are, if it's a North Carolina property, most of them are available online and you can find them right there. If there's life insurance, 401ks, IRAs, see if you can find an account statement in the important papers. And if you're even lucky, maybe you can find the beneficiary designations on stuff like that and know what's going on. Um, But also know until if the person did die with a will or without a will, until you get to probate administration with it and you get letters testamentary, which are the power documents giving you authority to move forward, you're not going to get a lot of information from places. If you call the life insurance company to make an inquiry, they're not going to talk to you unless they have the documents to talk to you. 
So just take it one step at a time, be patient, and it'll all work itself out and just will take a probably a, long, a lot longer than you ever think it will. A lot easier with an attorney than doing it on your own. We like to think too. Yeah, correct. Um, another thing I would add is if, if you're the person making your estate plan, um, let people know, let your ex- the person who you're designating as the executor of your will know where they can find it. It's in my safe deposit box. I have a safe in my, uh, uh, you know, at my home um, where I keep it. Just just so that they know and, and just so it's easier, as Andrew said, to find that original because that is such a critical um, – such a critical document, and again, going back to what I said earlier about the the confusion that that's present after someone dies, it's it's just uh, paramount to to let people um, let people know where they can where they can find things. Well, this has been helpful, and this has been a pretty practical answer. So, if anybody had more questions, what do they do? Who do they talk to? When do they ask them? So you can absolutely talk to our office and Gene or myself. One of the one of the most important factors about estate planning that I tell people is it's planning. It's trying to get everything arranged appropriately. It's not just document drafting. It's not just drafting a will and making sure everything is there. It's not making a durable power of attorney, a financial power of attorney, a trust. It's making sure the beneficiary designations agree with your plan, making sure that all of the type of devices that are out there are going to work in a cohesive way to not have a surprise for a loved one. That's the crux of why you hire an attorney to help you with this stuff. Like in the previous podcast, we mentioned that you can do a will on your own if you're willing to take that chance. One of the reasons why we're here, though, is to make sure everything gets gets arranged appropriately in the way that you want using all those type of devices. Yeah, and I would uh, I would just echo what I've said before in that it's you know estate planning um, and is is more about the people who you. Um, who you leave behind and, and seeing to their well-being as much as it is um, your own peace of mind and knowing that they're they're taken care of and that there's going to be an orderly uh, an orderly transition, if you will, after after you pass away. I mean, it's I always like to think and I, and and most clients know this. You know. Do it for the people. Do it for your loved ones, really, rather than yourself. Your your own peace of mind is important. I'm not trying to minimize that, but um, you know, there's there's a lot of a lot more than just that in in play when you're when you're doing that. And um, you know, talk to us. Talk to um, you know a, a a good qualified estate planning attorney, um, and and don't put it off. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks for coming back and spending some more time with us. We've enjoyed having you on there today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks, Lauren.